Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. The podcast that's kind of like a bad rash. We come back every week no matter how hard you try to stop us. Join our supporters by heading over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. You can find us on every single social media outlet in the entire universe, even ones that haven't been invented yet. And now, let's talk about all things two-wheeled, except for bicycles and trikes. Well, let's talk about them, too. Who do I think I am, Adam Carolla? <laughs> I'm not Adam Carolla. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's me. It's uh, Junkie. And uh, last name, maybe Turdman, maybe not. How are you doing on this fun-filled corona uh, virus-infested episode of Creative Writing? This is episode 221, if I've counted correctly. Um, I've lost count of almost every single thing in the world at this point, so it could be episode... Uh, 21 it could be episode 342 who knows but i did want to say welcome thank you for tuning in and wasting another friday with us there's plenty of other good podcasts you could be listening to if you want me to name off a couple i, I totally could uh but anyway yeah i hope you liked um last week's episode we talked about i remember now because i just looked at some show notes we talked about uh, how 1920 and 2020 are virtually mirrors of each other. I didn't get into the 30s, but I think I shall. It's a uh, it's a doozy. So it's, it's it will be quite a fun doozy. But um, instead, on this week's show, we're going to talk about um. Oh God, I put radiators down here. Oh God, I'm not ready to talk about radiators. But I did want to get into some stuff. I wanted to talk about get back to regular man. Um, we're waiting for Chris Wiggins to call in. He had a meeting today, and so. He shall join us soon, unbeknownst to him. Uh, I have a special guest in the studio tonight. It's a studio that was on the show a long, long time ago. Um, I shouldn't even say special guest, honestly. It's um, it's almost like a special disease or a special curse. Uh, but we'll be talking in a second to them. Uh, I do want to tell you that we, on order, I have a word of the week here, and I do have a moto scan written down. I've done zero... Um, preparation for it so that's gonna be awesome and also come to think of it i don't even know that much about this system except for the basics it's you already probably know um so with that uh the word of the week let me see here i've got all of our word of the week hey wait a minute i have all of our words of the week here except for iron butt I, and, I, and I think we used that one, and I couldn't find this paper. Have we used all of our words of the week? No way. Yeah. I think we have. Oh, my gosh. Hey, if you can go to our Facebook page and join our group called Word of the Week. That's the only group you should join, by the way. There's a couple other ones, but that's the only one you should join. Uh, contribute a Word of the Week. There was some really cool ones on our page 100,000 years ago when there was a lot of people uh, back then contributing 
and I couldn't tell you uh, exactly who they were. There's a lot of good, uh, really, a, <laughs> a lot of good. I'm sorry. I'm looking for it right now. I'm trying trying to look for all the good people, and guess what? Uh, fool, fool me. I can't find any. Anyway, I'm heading over there right now to our own Word of the Week page to see if there's a word that maybe I've possibly missed that's in here. Let's see. Mm, tap it gap. That's not uh, a motorcycle. Do I have a motorcycle down here on the list? Let me see. Uh, yep, and we used motorcycle. We used hooligan. We used uh, brakes. We used weather. We used hot. Let me see. Where's the word hot on my list? I, oh, yeah, there's hot crossed out. Lance Perry sent that one in. Flat, junk. Yep, creative. Is that on the list? Yep, sure is. It's crossed out. SoCal. Yep, we use SoCal. Facebook. Is that even on the list? It is, and we used it. Sharing, Iron Butt, Rain, Wisconsin, Track. I can't believe we used all these. They all have check marks next to them indicating that we used them. But maybe I just put them in there and checked off that for we have them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That seems more like it. I don't think we've I don't think we've used all these. I think the ones with check marks just means I've added them to the list and we got them on here. But why would I cross them out? Anyway. Uh so this week we're gonna go with um What's a good one we can use here? What don't I have in my junk? Let's go with junk. I'm going to cross it out so that I know I've used it. That's how I'm going to determine this list. So if you've submitted a word of the week and we already used it, guess what? It's going to get used again. I'm going to cross off the word junk there. So when Wiggins calls in, I won't tell him the word of the week. And we will uh, go ahead and do our thing that we do. And I'll tell you what that is in a minute. Uh, In the meantime, let me tell you that this week's show is brought to you not only by our patrons. Thank you, patrons. um, But it is brought to you... um, by Off We Go, and we'll talk about them in one second. First off, the disclaimer is that the views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast are those that the participants do not reflect the policy position or opinions of Creative Writing, Moto One Podcast, or its affiliates. Any opinion is a respective participants and is not intended to malign anyone or anything, even uh, Caterpillar drivers. By caterpillar, I don't mean people that ride around on caterpillars like Alice in Wonderland. I mean people that ride caterpillars because I just heard on the uh, This Week in News show, Moto Twins, that caterpillars making side-by-sides. Or no, it was Bobcat. So we won't, we won't talk about cat drivers. I used, to, I used to know a buddy that had a, a case super E450 or something. That thing was pretty funny to get swung around in the bucket. But... um. All right, so Caterpillar drivers, you're, you're exempt from this week's the taunting. The word of the week is going to be show. This week's show is brought to you by our friends over at TPS Fab. Go check out their wonderful videos on YouTube and how this person makes these videos look so professional uh, is a mystery to me, but they look awesome. And it's also brought to you by Off We Go. Off We Go products and the philosophy came to life in 2019 when three San Diego dog-loving friends were chatting about the dog treats available at the time. Their credo was born from the simple belief that 
You should be treating your pets' bodies like your own. Off we go. Doesn't know I'm doing this little promotion for them, but I do have to tell you that it is a friend of ours. Uh, her and a few other people, uh, apparently three other people, uh, have started this little side company and gave us some free product. And we gave it to our dogs. And I have to tell you, it's like a bone broth treat. They come in little biscuits and little sprinkles. My one dog uh, would rather chase tennis balls and eat rotten rat guts than eat the very healthy food that I buy her. And dog food isn't cheap, mind you, especially the bigger the dog, the more the food uh, you have to buy. So uh, for our small dogs, it's, you know, 60 bucks a bag, and that lasts about a week, maybe two. So, excuse me, they're going through, you know, a couple hundred bucks worth of food every month, every couple months, two months. And um, my like I'm saying, my one dog would rather eat rocks than probably because it's like just like a human, health food is not what you want. So, uh, long story short, we off this, off, we get this off, we go stuff, and uh, it's got, got little shredded up biscuits, bone broth is what it is, and it smells good to me. So I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder what the dogs are going to think of this. They loved it, and it's like sprinkles, it's like topping. Remember um, bacon bits? That was like a thing you used to buy a little crackled up bacon in uh, in a little shaker and shake it over your salad or your pizza or. Uh, sprinkle on your anchovies, whatever you were putting it on, and it would make it that much better. Because what what do we love as Americans? It's bacon. Put bacon on a Glock 19, and <laughs> I'll eat it. Sorry, that was my Corona. I was laughing because I couldn't even remember if a Glock 19 <laughs> was a real model of Glock. I've only shooting Glock 40, so I wouldn't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, and I would eat it. Put bacon on anything, I'll eat it. Put bacon on this old tire over here, and I'll take a bite out of it. But Bone broth, never heard of it. So I put bone broth, shook it on there. And what do you know? My old dog, who has zero interest in eating, I don't know if it's because her teeth hurt or what, but you sprinkle this stuff on, and I could have put it on a, bo- on a bowl full of rocks, and she would have ate it. She gobbled it. So I want to tell you where to go. You got to order it online, I think. Um, go to offwego.co for company, not for commerce, C-O-M, because they're not a big company. They really are three little dog lovers that uh, live in San Diego and are doing this little side gig. But I can tell you right now, our dogs will go bananas for these little biscuits. And now that I've run out of sprinkles and crumbles, I'm not going to tell them, but I'm going to call them up or uh, go to their website myself and buy some of these little sprinkles for their food. Because that's all the only way I can get them to eat it. I had to make filet mignon the other day for them to eat. And I was like, is it that bad? I tasted some of their dog food. It's not that bad. So I don't know what the hell, but they don't like it uh, unless it has Off We Go on it. So go check them out, offwego.co. And uh, if you have any questions or order information or anything like that, you can go to info at offwego.co. Okay, enough of that. All right, so uh, topping off this show, should I introduce our our guest this week? Um, Returning from the fray, uh, this guest was only with us for a very short time. I, I'm not, like, you know, Wiggins is even here right now. We're waiting for him to drop in. And I don't have interns sitting around me left and right like the uh, Noko Moto Boys do at uh, Moto One Podcast Central or whatever the hell they call their stupid studio there over in uh, Alabama, Colorado. Uh, out here, oh, I just broke my pen. Damn it, I'm getting stronger and stronger every day. I got to quit eating this off we go <laughs> bone broth treats on my salads. Woo! <laughs> uh, okay. Um, anyway, I think it's the dog food, actually. It's making me a lot stronger. Um, anyway, 
they got lots of interns over there at uh, Moto One Hoopity Doos. I've never had interns here. This has always been a one-man show. They let me borrow an intern once, and I forgot to feed them, and they didn't last too long. It was either that or I didn't poke holes in the box. Whatever happened, they're gone. So lesson learned. And a, a long, long, long time ago, uh, I had a buddy on the show, a sentient being, but they weren't made of skin and bones. So they weren't human. They were, in fact, a metal pain in my ass. And uh, returning on the show this week, I think I'm... Oh, shooby-doobs. I might have a special sound effect for you, buddy. Um, returning from... It feels like centuries ago now, is our old friend. Uh, and now, with bated breath, we welcome back to the Creative Writing Mo- Motorcycle Podcast a friend from the past. <laughs> a greasy little pain in my side. Oh, I almost said your name. Go ahead and introduce yourself, friend. And uh, keep it clean. Don't worry. Keeping it clean is the least of my worries. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. All right. So welcome back to the show. We, you, you didn't introduce your name. Now, last time you were on the show, let's cut this music, by the way. Let's fade this music out. Oh. Wow. You did that expertly. I'm quite impressed. Everything I do is expertly. Nice. Um, so, <laughs> sweet. Everything you do. I poop expertly. I sleep expertly. Nice. <laughs> so, last time you were on the show, you couldn't talk, by the way. So, um, A, let's catch people up, people that don't know who Tobor is. Um, tell us a story. Well, don't tell us the story of Tobor. I will tell you the story of Tobor. You can never tell the epic story of Tobor. Well, I could barely, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. So, yeah, I don't expect to remember your whole epic story. But you were here helping me out way in the beginning. Um, and things went a little bit sideways. You gained your sentient consciousness and you took off on me. Um, and basically, that's all people need to know, right? I mean, that's that's the gist of it. Basically, I got sick of living in filth and podcasting of mediocre show. And I set out on my own. All right. <laughs> you didn't need to rub it in. But, <laughs> okay, so the story was... You thought you could make a better podcast, and so you went out and uh, I don't know what you did, but you're back with us today. We're going to talk about some history. We're going to talk about some uh, really fun stuff on this week's show. All right, Tobor, enough. <laughs> I I can't. I don't know if I could hang with you the whole show. Oh God. People have to hang themselves after listening to your whole show. So what's the difference? All right, point taken. All right, so listen, <laughs> on this week's show, I wish you would shut up, by the way. On this week's show, um, Narissa, our good patron uh, pal Narissa, she had a really good idea, and I kind of halfway mentioned it on last, week, last week's show. <laughs> on last week's show. Learn to speak, you All right. On last week's show, Narissa had a good idea. And uh, I had brought it up. She had told me that I had posted a stupid song on Patreon that me and Wiggins were working on. And it's just a stupid uh, stupid song I made. I, I actually played it on my phone. And I got the guitar out and like was trying to play it on, on the, uh, the uh, GarageBand app. 
And GarageBand's a great app, actually. I mean, it lets you, it gives you access to thousands of instruments if you only have a phone, which is very nice. Um, now, what? Um, nice, good for you. I don't have one of those. I have a phone, so that's what I used it on. I mean, I have guitars and drum machines and stuff, but just making a crazy song with like all this preset stuff is kind of fun. And I was trying to tell Wiggins how to do it so he could make, um, make. Uh, music for his RC car. So what had happened was, uh, you know, I'm playing this song, I get the drums, I actually put the analog drums on there, pardon me, and was playing with my fingers and playing like a drum set, doing the bass, uh, instead of, you know, using two fingers instead of having four limbs to go wild is a uh, is a challenge to say the least. All right, point taken. Um but I mean, you don't even have four limbs. I don't, what do you <laughs> four uh, appliances? Whatever, whatever, Tobor. But anyway, uh, doing all that stuff um, on my with my fingers, like I'm saying, playing a whole drum kit with just a couple fingers was really hard to like tap all the. You know, when you're playing a real drum kit, you have both feet and both hands, and you and and your speed, right? I don't even know what that means. I I have hands <laughs> and feet and. I have plenty of speed, trust me. <laughs> All right, but anyway, um, so she she said, hey, uh, after I posted the song, she was saying you should get a bunch of people that are musically inclined patrons to um, like start, start a song and then put all the videos together. Now, in order to do that, you have to have a common beat, you have to have a common sound, so on and so forth. So um, my goal about three weeks ago when I read this uh, was to do that. Now, when I can find some free time to actually do it, I shall. I think I will provide the drum beat. Um, and basically, that'll be the heartbeat of the song. Um, the beat of the music is really just the tempo. And then anything can go over it. And if you don't believe me, go listen to some classical music. It's got like, you know, some of that old stuff is rocking out at like, you know, 160 beats per minute. And uh could be a punk song. And then some like... I was listening to the Soundgarden with my kids the other day, and I was like, oh, this is actually kind of a low beats per minute, but it's the fact that you know what you do within each beat is what makes the sense. So I'm going to do like a medium-paced beat, at least I'm going to try to, and I got a cajon for Christmas a couple years ago or for my birthday or something. I forget what it was. Um, but I haven't yet to play it like on an actual song. I beat the hell out of it just practicing and fooling around, but I have yet to actually make a song with it. So I thought, ooh, this is good. Um I'm going to take advantage of this, and, and we will do it. So I am going to try, Narissa, to get some patrons together that are musically inclined. Hell, I don't care if you beat on hubcaps uh, to accompany the drums, you know, the cajon. Uh, the cajon is just going to be a basic beat. It's basically got like a bass drum sound and a snare sound because it's got springs, and it's just a, it literally is a cajon, which is Spanish for box. And it's just a box with a sound hole that's got some springs to make it sound like a snare drum. So it's a really basic instrument, but it sounds really cool. So I'm going to play the beat on that, and then I'll ship it out, and you guys can listen to it and make videos on your phone or your computer or whatever you, uh, however you can get it to me and send it to me. My problem will be I'm not a video editor, and I don't even know what software you need to mash up videos like that where you can show everybody on one video. But... Um, the people that started Patreon, uh, Jack and his wife, um, uh, Don, Emily, Don. God, now I feel like a jerk because I used to 
listen to them all the time. Natalie, Natalie Dawn, that's her name. She's very beautiful, and I, I used to love her music. I can't remember, well, I couldn't remember her name for a second. Uh, yeah, still more. Thank you for for clarifying that. But anyways, um, so yeah, I can I I uh, they invented this thing called the the video song. I think it is, and um, they basically made it up where you make a video of yourself playing all the instruments and then mash it together. And and uh, so if you ever the people that made Patreon, yeah, they were geniuses and they were musically uh, very talented. And it's Jack Conte and Natalie Dawn doing it together as Pomplemousse, and so go check them out. Um, and so Narissa, there's no way I'm even going to be able to come close to what they've done, but since you're a patron supporter and the founders of Patreon are the ones that um, invented the, what's it called, the uh, video song and and all that great jazz, and it all kind of comes full circle with the little, your suggestion of mashing it up, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to try it. So we'll see if it works. Um, and how it works. And if I have, you know, I'll have to make some spare time, but I'll try and get some spare time and hook that up. Narissa also hit me with this news. Uh, let me get my little notes here. So her buddy, I forget her buddy's name. Uh, let me see if I still have my Instagram open. But she just hit me up on Instagram the other day and was saying that her buddy just bought uh, one of Sing Syme's old DRs. And the DR has uh, an old creative writing sticker. Let me see. She sent it to me here. Her friend, Nikki, recently bought some of Sing Sime's, one of Sing Sime's old DRZ. And she posted a picture. And Narissa was looking at it. And she's like, wait a minute. That looks like some one of Junkie's pictures, but all faded. And then when I zoomed in on the photo, I was like, yeah, it's one of the very first creative um, writing stickers that I ever made. It was the paper ones too. It's not the vinyl kind. And it's of our goon writer. And it was like in the very first font that I ever used. And I only made 20 of those, I think. So your friend Nikki Narissa has a piece of creative writing history on her DRZ. I hope she realizes it and immediately burns that bike, sets it on fire. No, I'm just kidding. It's a, it's an original goon rider sticker. There won't be any more of those made. And so congratulations to your friend Nikki on having a piece of show history. And I don't know if your friend Nikki listens, but if she does, uh, that's uh, pretty awesome. Uh, also, this weekend, what I did, uh, I did something cool this weekend. That's a first. Well, thank you, jerk boar. <laughs> I'm gonna. Hey, what does Tobor stand for, anyways? I won't tell you. I refuse. All right. Well, I'll get it out of you somehow. I mean, I know it's robot spelled backwards, but. Yes, All right. Um. So anyway, this weekend I was watching Riding with Reedus. I never, never watched Riding with Norman Reedus ever, even though I know the misfits are on that show, and that's how they got their big break. Um. And all that great jazz, right? So I'm watching Riding with Rita's. And what do I see on there? More importantly than the Misfits being on there was the Fitties for Life crew was on there, um, who I wouldn't have actually started following on Instagram had it not been for Wiggins, who, by the way, Wiggins, where are you? We're waiting for you to call in. It's a... Come on, son. That was a warning shot. I just fired it towards Wiggins' house. I don't think it's actually going to reach his house, so don't worry about that. One of those might... Um, so yeah, he's supposed to be calling in here pretty soon anyway, but he, he had a meeting this morning. He's still working. So you know what I'm saying? And I took the day off because it was my kid's last day of school. 
at virtual school. And so they had a real pickup. So dad had to go down and get all their junk from their teachers. It's quite an amazing event, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's been a really weird time. And having school be out right now is crazy. This is normally the kickoff of summertime. This is normally like when uh, we would have been wrapping up the podcasters, motorcycle podcasters challenge and talking all about it and stuff like that on these these shows. But this year, really crazy. Uh, another, uh, let me see. Oh, yeah. So watching Norman Reedus, um, I believe it was taking place right around this time in the show too, uh, which is kind of cool. They hit some summertime uh, thunderstorms. Of course, cause of course, they were in like a, by Deals Gap, which is like what in Ohio slash Georgia slash Kentucky slash Tennessee, and they um, of course you hit some thunder thunderstorms in the summertime, and it was really hot. So I think it was right around this time that they had actually filmed that episode as well. And they were racing the fitties for life at Deals Gap, and he he hung around. And, uh, yeah, that was really cool to see them on there. That was way back in 2016, I think. And so um, I didn't start following them, like I said, until Wiggins turned me on to them a f- couple of years ago. And Wiggins actually went back there and rode with them year before last. Um, so it looked like a lot of fun. And I still follow them, and their stuff is still postponed somewhat and on on and off. So we'll see how stuff's shaping up throughout the summertime. I'm, I'm, up, up, I'm optimistic. God, I can't talk. Robots can talk. I'll talk for you if necessary. Uh, I think I'm good. Uh, I will adapt. <laughs> so, um, anyway, yeah. So, Narissa Sticker, the Fitties for Life, and and all that. That's what I've been doing this week. I haven't really been up to much motorcycle wise. Even the projects that I have around the garage. This last weekend was Memorial Day. So, uh, happy Memorial Day to all the people that served in our uh, military. That. Pardon me, that is what that uh, holiday is for. I don't think it was an actual holiday until I want to say like the 70s, maybe the 40s. No, I think it was the 70s, yeah. So it's a, kind of a new holiday. Um, and and uh, so, yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, having it off was kind of interesting. You know, normally people are having barbecues and celebrating with family members that were service members and stuff like that. But this year was just kind of weird. It's like nothing was going on. Um, yeah, so I just sat around and baked all weekend. We're having a heat wave right now in Los Angeles, um, in all of SoCal actually. So riding, I could have gone and done it. Um, I planned on doing it. If I was going to do it, I was going to do it early on Saturday. Um, and it just not happening. It was just, I got up and hung around and drank coffee real slowly. Got my episode, my issue, I always say episode. I got my issue of uh, American Motorcyclist Magazine. So I was like, I'm just going to like sit around and read this baby. I think it was a July episode already or issue already. And um, yeah, reading in there, reading in that thing, I was looking at the coronavirus stuff and looking at all the, um, I mean, in the earlier issues, they had no idea that, you know, like I, I was talking about this last week or the week before, they published those things way beforehand and they don't really know what's coming up, right? I mean, they they publish them months before. They have it written months before, I should say, and they publish it, I'm sure, like two months ahead of actual schedule because you, you get the magazine before the month. You know, like February's magazine, I think I got in like the end of... Uh, it was either the end of December or like sometime in 
uh, January. So, I mean, it, I already got it before it was February. So that stuff's published well beforehand. So who knew all this crap was going to happen in March with, um, I mean, in February is when we started hearing about it. And in March, it was full on lockdown central. March 13th is the day, uh, I'll almost remember. It was the day, um, no, no, definitely not that day. It was, um, you know, that's like when everything started happening was then the lockdown and all this, <clears throat> Excuse me. So, anyways, uh, so yeah, it, was, it's, it, it has been interesting reading the last. That was in March, so April, April, May, and June's um, issues of the AMA magazine. It still mentions a lot of racing, and I know some of it's off, um, but there's still a lot of local and regional racing, and the AMA and Moto America and all these places are trying to develop like a safe protocol for racing. Um, and I even read, I heard on Moto Twins that, uh, there's going to be some, uh, perhaps depending on what goes down in, uh, Europe, there might be some racing coming up pretty soon. Um, I have been watching a lot of virtual racing and, uh, I watched all the MotoGP races so far. And like I said, they're kind of holding off right now because I think they wanted to start in July or August, and they're not going to, I don't think, try to do anything um, too clo- in June that's too close to you know the actual start of a race to be all crazy. But these virtual races have been fun, and it's actually fun to have seen real people, ra- you know, real MotoGP guys racing in these uh, online things, and you get, a ra- you get to listen to them, and you get to see how funny they are. The Marquez brothers are getting all sorts of uh, media out of it. I've seen a bunch of stuff on Twitter and Instagram that they've been posting, and it's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it's just fun. I mean, I know it's a video game, and it doesn't count toward points, but it is the real MotoGP guys racing, so it's not some weird internet freak that you're watching. <laughs> it's the actual MotoGP racers racing, so it is kind of fun. But... Um, uh yeah so so I don't know the AMA is still announcing a lot of racing coming up and so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I also know that Brady Walker, Sweet Talker, talked to him last week. Um, like I mentioned on the show, I haven't heard from him since, but it's uh, possible he was adub- abducted by chupacabras. There have been several chupacabra sightings around Los Angeles area in the past months. <clears throat> yeah. Also, when I found you, you were covered it in a hairy costume. So, uh, Toborkabra? I don't know. Anyway, so we are, uh, you know, he was talking. I know the Carnival of Speed got pushed back way from like uh, February or something and got pushed back to June 11th. So maybe that's still going to happen. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what's happening and what's hap- what's going to be coming up soon. So I don't know. I'm hopeful there's going to be a bunch of stuff. There's already there like in in SoCal, the stuff hasn't stopped. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm all about like not getting in big groups of people, but uh, everything I see is a big groups of people gathering up. And so, LA still has quite an infection rate of this like COVID virus stuff. Um, even if you're not. A contagious, like I'm supposed to go back to see some family members in Arkansas this year, uh, re- soon, real soon, actually. And I am afraid because I'm going back to see the older um, parts of my family. And whoops, and I am uh, kind of scared that I've been exposed way back in January and just didn't 
show any symptoms, and then I could have it, and I'm going to go back and visit some people. So I'm probably going to wear my mask. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to get tested because I don't think they'll test you if you're asymptomatic at this point because there's in, in L.A. County there's still enough cases. Like we flattened maybe, but we're not going down or something like that. I, I don't know what it is. I, haven't, I don't watch COVID news anymore. It's like after that being the only news for a while, I was disgusted with the news. So I quit watching. But I have heard from my wife who still pays attention that LA per se hasn't gone down really uh, to what some of the other places have, partially because population density, partially because cultural things. Um, and whoops. And so I don't know. So I'm still a little iffy. My whole thing I'm going out for rides, but I'm doing it by myself. And I wear PPE everywhere, right? So like I I haven't gone to any of these big meetups, but there have like they haven't stopped. There's been groups of motorbike rides. Uh like the first like week and a half, there wasn't any. Everybody was like stay at home parent. And then after that, everyone's like, dude, listen, like it's not illegal to go out here right now, like it is in some other countries or even some other states. Like we're not at shelter in place. We are like stay at home. And so it's not legal to go out. Uh, they will bust you, like, if you're doing certain things, but, like, to just go out and ride, it's not legal. So it uh, it never really stopped here. So <clears throat> so I don't know. But um, I am hopeful that there are things that uh, are going to be picking back up even, even though they stopped and got pushed back and rescheduled. So we'll see. I, I'm going to keep a, a firm eye on that stuff because I'm really excited about this year. I feel like the 2020 bikes got announced at Long Beach uh, back in November and we were talking about them and I feel like as soon as the IMS shows ended, that was it. Uh, AIM got pushed back to January of 2021 and, and we haven't heard anything. All these 2020 bikes got released. They started in November um, with IMS Long Beach and it ended in Chicago or Washington or something like that in January or February. And right when it ended, it was all this crap was going down. Because I remember Brady Walker talking about it then, saying, I just got off tour and I was with all these <laughs> jerkwads like in New York and Chicago and stuff. Who knows uh, if I got exposed to it. So it was literally right when all of it was going down. Um and it ended before the big outbreaks and everything, of course, because it ended, you know, flat out Friday was the first thing to get affected by it. So they ended right before that. But as a result, I feel like no, hardly any press has come out of it. And now I'm hearing um, Moto Guzzi, uh, all still shut down or something. Moto Guzzi maybe decided not to reopen. I forget. There was a few places, few of the brand. I know Ducati was going to open again. Um and uh, a couple, and maybe BMW, I forget exactly who started to open, but I think there's like a second wave happening in Italy, which is exactly what happened back in like 1918 through 1920. It was a two-year-long thing. And of course, they didn't have, uh, they had World War One happening, but I think I said last week's show, more people died due to the Spanish flu than World War I, uh, if they're... Um, little chart that I was looking at was right, right? So, uh, the in, like, influenza back in the day was nothing to be to shake a finger at. Neither was, like, syphilis. Neither was, like, uh, you know, whooping cough. All this crap that we... Uh, uh, even the common cold would kill you, you know, back in the 20s. So, interesting time. But 
the thing that does repeat in history is that you can't let up too soon, right? And so there's like a second wave coming. So I've heard that there's a second wave rocking through Europe right now. So I don't know when. I feel like all the 2020 bikes that came out are a total wash. Not that we were going to go test ride them anyway or any of that jazz. And we kind of gave you our input on... Actually, Wiggins wasn't even there. Wiggins didn't go this year with me. But I think we talked about what was eye-popping at the uh, at the show and some of the bikes didn't, they didn't have them there. It's like they released them. Um, some of them they released. Here goes that yawning shit again from last week. Anyway, some of the bikes they had, a, um, hadn't come out yet even. So they just announced them like at the end of the end of the tour. And so, uh, I feel like all these bikes came out and now 2020 is just like going to be a wash. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering what's going to happen with, uh, basically um production you know and sales and all that stuff and some of these bikes that came out if they're going to be one-year deals kind of like my scr you know what i'm saying there's pl- plenty of bikes that were like that already uh the nm4 the dn01 these all uh uh come to mind um and then i i've heard phil and i've been listening to cleveland moto that's about the only show i've actually been listening to and had time to listen to i used to listen all day at work and now i don't so maybe some of you don't listen and uh, that is what we have in common now. That's about everything you have in common, you piece of human shit. That hurt a little bit. That really hurt a little bit. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> anyway. Thanks. Don't worry, dickhead. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I heard Cleveland Moto talking about TBS owning uh, Norton, and we talked a few weeks ago about Norton and being bought out. I don't know if we said they were bought out by TBS or not, but TBS is a huge company, and if uh, metallurgy and stuff doesn't have much to do with it, although it kind of does, I know Royal Enfield um, breaks broke their Himalayan and testing. Um, and I'm sure several other people have broken their Himalayan trying to actually ride off-road. So the metallurgy does have some stuff to do with it. And the old uh, Royal Enfields, my my very first one I ever crashed, was a uh, uh, Royal Enfield on the street. Um, and it was my buddy's, and it was like a 2000, 2002 or something. I forget what year it was. Um, but anyway... That thing straight up had like 1950s uh, casting, and it had all the casting marks, just like if you, where did I drop that thumb drive? Here it is. Just like if you were uh, to go back to 1950 and uh, go into the Royal Enfield um, factory, that's basically what it would have been like. It was pretty amazing, um, but kind of shoddy at the same time. You can jump. I'm sure back in the 50s, bikes broke all the time going over jumps and stuff like that. They weren't made to withstand uh, the type of, you know, a jump back then was like Napoleon Dynamite. You get six feet, six inches off the ground, and you go, oh, my God, that was a three feet of air. So, um, sorry, all the noises around here. Tobor is getting funky fresh. Are you dancing? Uh, what, what dance are you doing? <laughs> okay. You're an idiot, Tobor. You're a true idiot and that's why i love you um so anyway yeah so tv uh what I, what i did want to say is that yeah tvs did by norton tvs if bmw trusts them to make the g310r i want to ask uh what they think about that tvs 
makes the Apache. They make some other stuff that I think looks cool, you know. And for what I know, it's like India's performance bike. I mean, I know that's not saying a whole lot. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like a Ducati. But even those are made in Thailand, right? So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I trust other uh, I trust other markets to make stuff, especially if you do what Benelli did. I know Shangzhen, maybe I forget exactly who uh, SSR, whoever owns SSR. I think it's Shangzhen or something. They bought Benelli, but they left Benelli in Italy, right? It just doesn't matter who owns them, right? That uh, if your landlord owns your house but lives out of state, same sort of thing. I know my landlord lives in the next city so it's kind of the same thing much smaller level but you get it like just because you own something doesn't mean you have to like be there present right in that country so i think the people that bought uh benelli left them in italy to be produced in italy they're still an italian company just the owner is chinese same thing same thing i feel about norton and when i was reading the article on norton i believe part of the thing was they bought an existing warehouse there to to put stuff in. So I think they might be leaving Norton in the UK. I'm not 100%. Uh, But even if they didn't, India is a great place for um, Norton to go because Norton wasn't Norton anyway. So that's my opinion on that. And that's about all I can remember from this week's uh, Cleveland Moto. So there you go. Uh, Like I said, I can barely remember breakfast, and that's about the only podcast I've listened to. So... Um, let's get into a, a segment of the show that I like to call our news segment. And Tobor, let's hear, can you rock us out? Get us some uh, robot music. <laughs> Tobor, that was like the worst. Was that really music? Like, be honest with yourself. I don't believe you, Tobor. Are you saying I am wrong? I mean, I don't know. I is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're not wrong. Actually, if that is beautiful robot music, let's let's go for it. Uh, Tobor, what do you think about TV? I I haven't. Sorry, I've been ignoring you. I've been looking at my screen, trying to make sure we stay on track here. Um, what do you think about TVS and Norton and what do you think about coronavirus and what do you think about, uh, everything I've said so far on the show? I put myself to sleep mode, thankfully. <laughs> All right. <laughs> God. Tobor, I wish... Th- I wish... Th- if I say the word of the week... Wait, I crossed it out. Now I'll never remember it. Oh yeah, that that's it. Uh, Tobor, I think you are a huge word of the week. You're a huge piece of the word of the week this week. And I wish it was you that I was dropping a box of nukes on instead of a basket of cute kittens. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but... um, Okay. Good to know. That's right. You're sentient, but you're emotionless. That's what you love about me. That truly is what I love about you, Tobor. So uh, let's get into um, this week's segment that I have uh, scripted out. Now, I wanted to talk about, uh, you're emotionless, so I don't expect you to remember this, but three years ago, uh, but I think this is before, we, yeah, before Wiggins came on the show. This is 2017. I don't think Wiggins came on until 
like the end of 2017. So this is about six months before Wiggins came on the show, which, by the way, where is Wiggins? <sighs> Let's call him up here. Let me do another shot across the bow. I hope Wiggins... Uh... Oh, dang, I ran out of bullets. I hope Wiggins knows Morse code, because I started to type him, where are you? But I, obviously I ran out of bullets, so I'm not, I just put wow. Or no, I put W-H-E, and he's probably thinking I'm saying wee. So, all right. Well, that's not going to work. Well, I hope he shows up, So, or I calls in, or whatever he's going to do. So um, it's just me and you now, Tobor. Let's uh, make the best of it, shall we? I always try to make the best of it. All right. So, also, three years ago, we uh, Nikki Hayden passed away, and this past Friday was the uh, anniversary of that third anniversary. So he passed away um, on uh, May twenty second, I believe it was May twenty second, twenty seventeen, and so yeah, it was the anniversary of his passing. Now. The uh, Nikki Hayden Day is actually coming up soon. June 9th is Nikki Hayden Day. We'll get it. Uh, I wrote this down, so we'll talk about that later. Um, so yeah, we're gonna talk about Nikki Hayden. We we talked about him, and I was really emotional when it was all happening because it was like as it was happening. And now that there's been a couple years to reflect on it, um, I was thinking we never really did a breakdown on Nikki Hayden. We never really talked about his short-lived glory days with Honda, um, and we never did really talk about. Uh, much about his career. Um, everybody always talks about Valentino Rossi and blah, 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 blah. Nobody talks about Hayden that much. And now that we're getting on in the years, no one's going to remember Schwantz and Rainey and all those other guys. Um, it's all Guy Martin. And similar to Kevin Schwantz, who I don't think ever won a championship, Guy Martin's never won, won anything either, to my knowledge. So, um, But he'll get a whole show about him someday on someone else's podcast, I'm totally sure. So we're going to talk about Nikki Hayden, his anniversary, and his time with Honda. We're also going to talk about another anniversary happening this year, which is the Fat Boy. It's celebrating its 30th cake day this year, and there's even a special anniversary Fat Boy edition out, uh, even though they just had one like a couple years ago for Harley-Davidson's 115th anniversary. But Harley loves anniversaries. So uh, we're going to talk about the Fat Boy. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. To Obor, can you play us out with some of that sweet robot dance music? Tired of hanging out in the garage with buddies and not knowing what they're talking about? Do you have inferior knowledge of carburetors or electrical systems? What about grilling beef, guns, or other manly things? Now RP Enterprises has you covered. Introducing Mantriloquist. Mantriloquist is a monthly subscription service that puts an expert right in your head. The next time you're in the garage throwing back some suds with your buds and the conversation takes a turn into uncharted waters, just text pound 33976 on your cell phone and wait for the magic to happen. The experts in our call center are available 24 hours a day. They spring into action via our patented two-way earpiece. They'll listen in on your conversations to make sure you don't sound like the village idiot in front of your friends. Our discreet communications protocol means that your pals won't hear a thing except for you delivering all the right answers. 
Now, you don't have to be afraid to join the conversation when topics come up like fuel pumps, inverters, clitoris, drywall, sniper rifles, and so much more. Mandriloquist will put you back in the game instead of holding your purse in the corner. So, man up with Mandriloquist. Requires a three-month minimum subscription. Not available for women. They generally don't care or are not afraid to ask questions. Not available in Guam or Burkina Faso. Standard messaging and data rates apply. Money back guaranteed. Call now to order. What's that smell? They're at it again. The folks at RP Enterprises solving two world problems with one great solution. You got a hankering for some of Grandma's hush puppies? Sure you do. They're delicious. You love them. Well, how about solving world hunger and the pet overpopulation problem with one easy, simple, tasty solution? Fist Puppies from RP Enterprises. Never have to listen to a Sarah McLaughlin song again about it. Fist Puppies available only at Hetty's. Zapper, Zapper, we got them. Whappers, Whappers. we got them. We got everything you need for your off-road adventure this summer at Nathan's Power Sports Village in Durston. Brakes, Brakes. we got those. Tires, we got those. Seatbelts for your motorcycles. Oh, there we are. God, I was wondering what happened. Tobor! Tobor! Just hoping you weren't messing with the things. You said the word of the week almost. You added a Y on there, but I'm going to let that fly this time. But we almost (laughs) had a nuke a bag of kittens, homie. Uh, You got to be careful. I know you live on the edge. Now that you're sentient... Riding a motorcycle. What is riding a motorcycle like, actually, for a robot? I never thought not never thought to ask that. It's like having sex with the most wonderful being who ever existed. I love her daughter body and her barbell rider. Her CDI takes me to new levels. And boy, do I love messing with the electronic control unit. All right. Now I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, I, I did say that we were going to get into some history this week, and this history is not going to be a mystery. Um, this history is going to be all about Nicholas Hayden. Uh, so, Nicky Hayden, the Kentucky kid, he started racing at a really young age. And how do I know this? Because I've seen plenty of documentaries on him, and I did some research before I got into this little bit of Nicky history. That sh- I should have made some music for this. Nicky history. Oh, whoops. I guess it would help to turn this up, too. Nicky history. Nicky history, baby. Ooh, ooh. Don't go to Oklahoma. Nicky history. All right. You can play some robot music later, Tobor, but I just want to do some Nikki history song. So listen, the Kentucky kid, he started racing at a super young age, and in fact, on his personal website, it lists his very first race at a dirt track mini bike race at the age of three. Um, three years old. He was born in 81, I believe, so the 84, he was already rocking it. When when uh, uh, 
<laughs> Crockett and Tubbs. No, is that the guys from Miami Vice? Yeah, I think, I think so. When Crockett and Tubbs was rocking their pink blazers and driving Lamborghinis around Miami, uh, fighting crime as uh, you know, a Starsky and Hutch were aging out of the scene. Guess what? Little Nicky Hayden out there racing uh, dirt tracks on his mini bike. Um, I'm guessing it was a 50, by the way. Um, in 1990, at just nine years old, Nikki and his brother Tommy tried road racing for the first time. And in the beginning of Nikki's road racing career, he would start at the back of the grid because somebody like a family member or a crew member would have to hold the bike up for him. He was too young to reach the ground whilst in the seat. So we're talking young, young, young age here. And actually, I think there's a good picture of Valentino Rossi uh, flipping his bike <laughs> when the when the throttle got open, you, and you see how short these guys really are. Some of those guys have trouble sitting on a uh, on a super on a you know MotoGP bike, so they're not sm- they're not small bikes, and the guys that ride them are. So um, I get it. Nicky Hayden wasn't the tallest guy in the world, and uh, so it was a little kid. Somebody was holding his bike up for him. Makes sense to me. Um, on April 17th, 1998, while he's still in high school, Nicky Hayden won his first AMA Formula Extreme race at Willow Springs. The Willow Springs, where I go all the time uh, to watch the Corsa Moto Classica, and I went there with Wiggins to do a couple track days, all that great jazz, right? Uh, Wiggins did the track days. I walked around in a daze <laughs> around the track, all right? You know what I'm saying? Um, so anyway... Uh, he won his first AMA Formula Extreme race out there at Willow Springs, and in the following few days, he won his first AMA Supersport 600 on April 26, also at Willow Springs. And that Willow Springs is a historic track, um, the fastest road in the West. And this is back. Uh, I wasn't going there yet, but shortly after this, um, they were still racing. Uh, AMAs and superbike, like world superbike stuff out there with the Motocorsa Classica back when um, Yoshi from Garage Company uh, ran the Corsa. So, um, yeah, he's out there, gets his first win in Formula Extreme on the April 17th, April 26th, just a couple weeks later, also gets his very first Supersport 600 win at Willow Springs. So Willow Springs was a historic track for Nikki, for sure. Uh, a year later, he would make his AMA Superbike debut, also at Willow Springs. Uh, he took 12th place on his Honda RC45, and he won the Supersport Championship aboard a privateer Honda CBR600. So at Willow Springs, makes his freaking world, his AMA Superbike debut, right? Um, and wins the Supersport Championship all at Willow Springs. Pretty awesome. Um, and, and within a year, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's 99. He's he's probably just out of high school in 99. Let me see. How old did that make him? 27. I hope he was out of high school. Then again, he is from Kentucky, so we won't hold that against him. Um, so anyway, also in 99, not only did he make a Superbike debut, um, Coming in 12th place, he won the Supersport Championship aboard a privateer CBR 600. He also won a GNC race at the Hagerstown Half Mile. So the Super Superbike, Supersport, and Dirt Track wins really propelled him to be recognized in 99 as AMA's Athlete of the Year. 
Uh, so that's a pretty pretty good year for uh, one guy in two different disciplines. Um, in 2000, he moved to the Honda Factory AMA Superbike team, uh, but he still raced flat track and AMA Supersport 600 until Honda eventually pulled him to focus on the Superbikes exclusively. So he would still race uh, flat track on his days off when he, when he uh, didn't have to put in a whole bunch of time and the schedules didn't conflict and all that stuff. Sort of like J.D. Beach. Um, it was his first foray aboard the RC-51. Wiggins just told me he bought Ride. I think there's a game called Ride uh, for his Xbox, and he said the very first bike he bought was an RC-51. This is why he likes RC-51s, because Nicky Hayden. Um, additional, additionally, in dirt track, he won a Springfield short track race uh, that year. So there you go. He makes his debut on the, or, you know, moved to the factory superbike team, and he's racing short tracks and he won. He won the Springfield Short Track. So uh, this is going to be this is going to be important in a little bit. So remember, he won the Hagerstown Half Mile. Now he's won a short track at Springfield, uh, and that's this is 2000. So within like each year, he's just like blow, since 98 when he made his debut. Each year he steps one. Um, one rung higher on the ladder of racing. So 2001 was his actual first full season as an AMA superbike racer. Um, 2001. So he was literally 20 years old. Okay. Um, he had injured his wrist in the off season, uh, I think on a dirt bike, but he finished second at the Daytona 200 season opener in 2001. Like this is back when, when people were coming from all over the world to race Daytona, it was still a huge international thing. Um, after Daytona, he underwent wrist surgery and he suffered from carpal tunnel syndrome, the whole, uh, well, therefore. So after, after that, he always suffered from carpal tunnel. Um, but despite the injury and the recovery, he still finished third in the 2001 championship season behind Matt Maladin and Eric Bostrom. Um, and Matt Maladin, who, uh, odd side note, I heard is not doing so good. I heard he's been brought up on child sex charges. Um, I haven't checked back in on, on any of that, but I heard it on uh, Moto Twins. They were talking about how he's been charged in Australia. Um, God, he's gone. He went from one of the great all-time like greatest racers to he's really deteriorating. So uh, yeah, but that's who he finished behind, Matt Maladin and Eric Bostrom. Um, in 2002, so the next year, he, he his first full season, Year, year two was a good year for Hayden as well as he started off the season with a victory at the Daytona 200 and he finished the season as the youngest AMA Superbike champ on record. So 2002 was a great year. I think he only lost the Daytona 200 the year before. Bec- I, it wasn't because of his wrist injury or anything like that. It's because I believe he ran out of gas um, or had an engine problem or something like that as he's coming across the line. So I don't think it was... Uh, any, any fault of his, I think it was just like a sort of like a mechanical or fuel issue. And so that's why he didn't uh, win the Daytona 200 the year before. So 2002, way better year. He starts it off with a Daytona uh, victory. And Daytona always starts off the season of racing here in the States because it's the Daytona 200 and it's the first flat track race of the year. So that's usually when, uh, and it usually happens like uh, in March. So, um, yeah, that's, it's usually when it's going down it's the end of February, beginning of March. Um, Daytona is usually what kicks us off. Um, 
And then, yeah, he won. He won that uh, Superbike Championship and became the youngest Superbike Champion on record. He raced dirt track all that year as well. Uh, so 2002, another huge year for him. He never quit racing dirt track since, uh, I believe I said, 99 when he won um, the, uh, let me see, 99. Yeah, he won the Hagerstown Half Mile and got rookie or athlete of the year because of it. So 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, he never quits racing flat track. Um, so in 2002, not only did he get the uh, Superbike Championship, but he took a win at both Springfield short tracks that year because they go to Springfield and then like, uh, I forget where they go, and then they come back to Springfield. Um, he also won the Peoria and Springfield TTs right? So his victory at the 2002 Peoria TT would also cement the future for Chris Carr and consequently Henry, Henry Wiles a decade and a half later, right? So Hayden beat the 13-time winner Chris Carr, who was dubbed the Prince of Peoria because he'd won Peoria 13 times, set a record. He would never go on to win the Peoria TT again before retiring in 2011. So Chris Carr... Uh, got his streak broken in 2002 and then raced a, a whole nother uh, eight or nine years and didn't win, right? Didn't didn't win P uh, Peoria again. Um, Henry Wiles went on to win his 13th consecutive Peoria TT in 2017 after Hayden's death, tying Chris Carr's all-time win record. And then in 2018, he broke that record and became the king of Peoria, thanks in part to Nikki Hayden in 2002 stopping Chris Carr's run. So it's really awesome how, uh, you know, our, uh, America's most famous MotoGP rider of this uh century is um had had a part in flat track history as well so it's really cool and then in 2019 um wiles did not race i believe he was injured and this year there hasn't been any flat track so we'll see um so at any rate in 2003 we all know what happens he's he's rising through the ranks from 99 to 2002 he just literally uh did AMA, 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 just climbing the ladder every single consecutive year, just had a really good run. And in 2003, he makes his MotoGP debut aboard the factory Honda Repsol team. So AMA Superbike Racing for Factory Honda Superbike, American Superbike, directly led to a MotoGP ride. And that's what a lot of other countries do. That's what we need to get back to, right? We used to do it. It was important, right? And it was one of the most prestigious teams on the 2003 roster. And it saw him partnered with Valentino Rossi, who was riding for Honda then. So Hayden was totally overshadowed by Rossi, but he did have a good couple podiums and he finished fifth overall in his rookie year. So that's not too shabby. And it actually uh, won him a title of rookie of the year. Um, the bike that they raced on was the RC21 1V which had been developed in 2001 to replace the NSR 500. And it literally had just debuted in MotoGP the year before. So Nikki Hayden is riding a bike that they've literally just started testing. Um, it was the RC 21st Century First Edition 
uh, V-twin, or I think that was a V5, the RC211, I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, 2003, he makes his debut in GP, gets Rookie of the Year, and does it on a brand new bike that Honda has just tested the year before to replace the old 500 class. Um, also, the next year, 2004, it started off with mixed results, including a couple DNFs. Um, it wasn't great. And given his Rookie of the Year award, people had like much better uh, hopes for him. But he podiumed on the seventh and eighth rounds, but then he dropped off again, crashed out in the ninth and tenth rounds, respectively, before breaking his collarbone on a Honda CRF 450 while training in Italy, which I think was the mid-year race. There used to be about 18 rounds. So 10th round is right around like midpoint of an 18 or 20 round year. So it's like silly season, mid, mid-year. He breaks his collarbone on a CRF 450. I don't know where he was training in Italy, if it was at Rossi Ranch or what, but he missed the Portugal round while healing and then the very first race back is Japan, and he crashed again and was hurt. So uh, crashed out of that. So rounds uh, 10, 11 and 12 gone. Um, so then despite his finishing top 10 in the next three races, he crashed out in the very last round, and he finished eighth overall after having five crashes and only two podiums that year. Eighth still isn't too shabby, but when you start off your rookie year getting a fifth, you better believe your next year, you're, you know, <laughs> they expect you to be like even better now that you're used to the bike. So there's a lot of stuff that went on in 2004 that wasn't so great for Nikki Hayden. Now, 2005, that started out with a crash. And according to some accounts, he was publicly criticized right off the bat. And it was stated that he should be kicked off the factory Honda team. Um, after his 2003 debut and then such a poor showing in 2004 and then starting off with the crash in 2005, he was basically pulling a Jack Miller where it's like, ah, you skip a class and get promoted or whatever. And then like you go to the straight to the top and then for the rest of the next few years, no one even hears your name. Right. So really interesting rounds, but he did finish, uh, um, top 10 in the next, um, six races. So, I mean, that's not great, but at least it's top 10, right? Out of 16 people or 20 people, I forget. So his fortunes started to turn around. He actually won the eighth round at Laguna Seca, which is his home home round. And it was it gave Honda its very first win since uh, Rossi won in Valencia the year uh, in 2003. So 2003, I believe Valencia is the last race of the year. Um and Rossi wins it. 2004, uh-uh. Honda hasn't won anything in 2004, partially because Hayden, you know, and, and Rossi wasn't doing so good. Uh, and then um, 2005, and it may have been Rossi's last year, actually, with Honda. I forget. I forget when Rossi switched over to Yamaha. But I think it was right around this time. 2005, uh, he finishes top 10, wins Laguna Seca, and it's the first first win they've had since the end of 2003. Um, but in the very next race, he high sides again, but he gets more consistent top tens, including a string of podiums. And it left him at the year's end in a solid third place. Um, so that's pretty good. Take out 2004 and it's a pretty good, pretty good. Cause even though he had some crashes, um, in 2005, if you take 2003 and then 2005, he moves from fifth place to third place. So uh, not too shabby, right? Um, you could just say, you know, 2000, 
four was a fluke. He finished worse than you know we would have expected and worse than his rookie year. So that's totally unexpected. But take out all those crashes and the injuries and all that great jazz, like the breaking of the collarbone, um, getting the carpal tunnel stuff happening uh, the few years before. You take all that stuff out, and it's pretty amazing that he still had a pretty good 2005 where he finishes third. Um, 2006, now this would be his finest year of motorcycle racing ever. If you take in that he's built from 99 to 2006, I think if you count that, that's seven years, 99, uh, 2001, two, three, four, five, six. That's actually uh, eight years. Um, so 2006, it's his going in as his uh, ending his seventh year in third place. He's coming into the beginning of his eighth year. It would be his finest year. He fought many battles over the season with many international riders, but he had a really exciting eighth round with fellow American Colin Edwards, who we often forget about. And after swapping places several times, Hayden and Edwards enter the last chicane like side by side. And I've watched this video clip uh, on YouTube quite a few times. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Hayden's on the outside and he runs wide and just loses it. Like he can't stop in time and make the turn. So he just runs a, he's super wide and has to stand it up and just come across the gravel. Um, and the chicane goes right and then left. You're coming in. You're coming in on a long uh, right-hander, and then it bent. You know, as it bends through the chicane, it goes back to the left and then straight. And so it's through that uh, right-hander that he goes super wide, and he runs through the gravel. And you're like, oh! And Colin Edwards makes it through, but Colin Edwards was like on the inside diving in. I think trying to block him, and somehow he has to stand it up, and he cuts between the gravel and the rumble strips. And right there, there's some fake grass. And he literally just didn't make the turn by like a foot. He could have, if he would have turned a little sharper, he could have gone on the rumble strips and been still like a half a tire on the tarmac. But he missed the turn as well. And as soon as he goes across this uh, in the right hander, hits the patch of synthetic grass just like a few feet away from Hayden, who's out there in the dirt. Literally, Edwards, Edwards is right there by the track. And as soon as he hits that, uh, synthetic grass, the bike kind of jerks and it bucks him off of all places. And then the bike keeps rolling. Like it writes itself. That's how weird this fall is. The bike slips, sends him tumbling off. And then the bike kind of hits the curb and writes itself due to, uh, gyroscopic force. So, I mean, it literally, all he had to do was hang on and it's just so weird that he gets tossed off and goes tumbling into the other other gravel pit on the other side of the track um and then the bike uh coasts off and like hits the wall and falls over yards from him like if he could have stood up fast enough he could have ran and got back on it but what this means is that Hayden had given given Edwards a free win but then as soon as he slipped and flew off the bike he hands Nikki Hayden back the win as the rest of the field flies by a dusty and dumbfounded Colin Edwards at this point so he finished pretty well through the season uh but his teammate um had switched from Rossi at this point. I think Rossi left in 05 when, um, when Hayden was getting criticized and he won and it was, uh, 
So I think that's the first win since Rossi had been on it was 05. And so I think it was either 05 or 06 when um, Rossi bailed over to Yamaha. And so in 06, Nikki has Danny Pedrosa as a teammate. Um, and it's finally the penultimate round, which penultimate doesn't mean the last. It means the second to last. So the penultimate round happened in Portugal. Uh, it shored up Rossi's points deficit because Rossi was a little bit behind um, Hayden. And it put him within striking distance of the championship. Now, Nikki Hayden knew that Rossi had to finish second or better at that final round to win the MotoGP title. Uh, and the fact that Danny Pedrosa took him out was a huge, huge thing. So Portugal happens and Danny Pedrosa, it's another famous clip. Uh, and I remember this happening actually. Um, and they were saying there goes his hopes, you know what I mean? Cause Valentino Rossi is the doctor. He's the favorite. He's going to win the next race. Uh, he's done very well. Obviously Nikki has crashed out in, uh, the last round in his, uh, in 2003, I forget. I forget his first year, I don't think he crashed, but his second year, he crashed out. His last year, he crashed out, right? <clears throat> and so, um, or didn't do very good. Um, and so, 2006, Danny Pedrosa takes him out in Portugal. Great. Last round, all Ross has to do is get second, and he steals the championship away. Um, but what happens is Nicky Hayden puts in... Um, uh, Rossi gets pole position too. So that's like already Hayden's like looking down the barrel of a loaded gun, so to speak. Um, or looking down, uh, Chuck Norris's sleeve at his fist hiding inside. Let's put it that way. Um, Rossi's on pole for the last round and he's going to do it, but he got a super poor start and it sent him backwards and he eventually crashed trying to make up some ground. He got back up and finished the race, but not before losing a few places. So Hayden, just finished third. All he, he all he had to do was like not let Rossi finish second. So he finished third, and so he didn't even win the race, but he clinched the championship title whilst re realizing his lifelong dream of becoming a world champion. That's all he wanted to do as a little kid is become a world champion. So there he gets his dream. That's it. And in 2017, uh, some things changed. So that's the famous picture of Nikki Hayden holding the U.S. flag. There's a whole story. When Nikki passed away, um, there was a couple radio shows that did some really good documentaries on it. The guy that uh, got that American flag there, like smuggled it in under his shirt because um, you weren't supposed to bring stuff to the track. And he had a feeling that Hayden was going to win. And he's like, all the other flags there were like uh, Italian flags because everybody was pretty sure Rossi was going to win it. He got pole, yada, yada. That was like the only American flag that had made it to the track, I guess, uh, from from the one of the stories I heard. So as soon as Nikki wins, and I think the guy was a Spanish fan too. I don't, he wasn't American. I think he was a Spanish fan. So as soon as Nikki wins, the guy runs down and takes the flag, and that's one of the most famous stories or uh pictures is Nikki halfway draped over his bike tear. He's just bawling his head off. You know, he was, uh, according, I'd never met him. So he was apparently the nicest guy though ever. And so a lot of people loved him and respected him, um, gets his win after only being in GP for three years. Um, and unfortunately I know we love to 
call him the Kentucky kid and he's our hero. And I know Wiggins loves him and gets RC51s, but that would be his best year in MotoGP. Um, and the legend of Nicky Hayden lives on despite the rest of his career, which we'll get to right now. So, um, Let's clap a little, actually, for Hayden. Yay! And I know, Tobor, you have zero emotions, so you don't really care. But, um, yeah, I like to give a little clap for Hayden. And that was his year, man. That was a, a great year in MotoGP. Um, I remember that year. I don't remember all the drama. I had to, like, listen back to it. It's been over a decade now. But um, I, do, I do remember that race, and I remember Pedrosa taking him out and how crazy that was. So 2007 happens. MotoGP switched engine formats again, and uh, they're going down from like 990 cc, like almost 1,000 cc machines, to 800 ccs for safety and for some other things. So Honda comes out with the RC21 2V. So this is the 21st century bike's second uh, edition, and it's still a V, but I can't remember if it's a V4 at this point. Um, so they dropped him down to the 800s. And according to Nikki Hayden's website, uh, the change in platforms didn't really suit his racing style that he developed over the years on big, loose super bikes. So he ended the season again in eighth. Um, that same year though, like the legend of 2006 had caught on. So by 2007, he's starring in like some M MTV special called, uh, the Kentucky kid. He had a biography, uh, published called from OWB to MotoGP. And his popularity was certainly growing among American fans, partially because besides Colin Edwards, he was one of the few Americans on the grid. Um, and I don't think Ben Spees came in until a couple years later. So we got Nikki Hayden, we got Colin Edwards, but I don't even know if you guys knew that Colin Edwards was racing at this time, right? So, uh, but anyways, due to the 2006, um, MotoGP title, he's like on top of cloud nine. So in 2007, even though, uh, he didn't do so hot, he's got all these other things going for him. He can ride the, uh, uh I guess kind of like a reality TV star. You go on survivor one time and then you can base the next 12 years of your life on, uh, the money you made on survivor, um, and going, giving speeches about making it in the world and all this jazz. So 2008, 2007 wasn't great. They switched, um, switched formulas he came in eighth place, you know, just wasn't getting it. Sort of like, well, we'll get at this in a minute. So 2008 proved to be an even rougher year. Not only did he struggle with the Honda, um, he had a few podium finish, finishes, but also lots of crashes and retirements. And during the summer break, <clears throat> he hurt his foot at the Supermoto race during the Los Angeles round of the X Games. Um, relations at this point had started to deteriorate between him and the Honda team, partially because he came in, you know, let's look at what was a good year for him. 2003, he got rookie of the year. 2004, not so hot. 2005, he finishes third, not too bad. 2006, gets his championship. 2007, does pretty terribly. And so there's only two good years out of that, his rookie year and the year that he won the championship that him and Honda are really seeing eye to eye on things. So after breaking his foot at the X Games, which I actually watched that, this is when me and Wiggins were talking about Supermoto a long time ago. I swear I, I watched Nicky Hayden there was that whole year, 2008, was a really good year for X Games because I think they had a Supermoto 
uh, racing similar to the Super Hooligans racing now that came out 10 years later. Um, and I, I watched it and then it kind of disappeared. And this is the year that the Buell had the Super TT come out and all this great stuff. All these cool big hooligan TT bikes coming out for the Supermoto stuff. Um, but yeah, so he busted his foot or he didn't bust break it. I can't remember, but he did hurt it, right? Um, might have bruised the bottom, who knows. But it makes a big difference when you're trying to get around on a MotoGP bike and wrestle this thing to another victory. So relations had started to t- deteriorate between him and the Honda team. And at the mid-year point, he also had tension with Danny Pedrosa. And every team choice took some conspiratorial innuendos, right? And in September, he announced that he'd be leaving Honda Um, But despite that friction, he finished sixth overall. Now, that's not too shabby, actually, for a... A rider, but when you have a champion rider, I, I just I just don't know. Like Danny Pedrosa has won a heck of a lot of um, races. Uh, he's just never won a championship, but they've kept him on because he was a pretty consistent guy. Nicky Hayden, as much as we love him, he was all over the board. So it was not too, too good for him. Um, in 2009, he moves to Ducati, and he starts racing the Desmo Sedici GP9. Now, Ducati's bikes... GP9 is going to be for 2009. The GP10 was for 2010, right? So the bike was just the Desmo, and then they just called it GP whatever year they're racing. Um, So he gets on this Desmo, Desmo Sedici. The start was very rough, um, with Hayden complaining about handling problems in corners. Um, I think the brake or the suspension oscillating, things like this. Fast forward a few years, who, like, I don't know, Every racer that I can remember with an exception to Casey Stoner and maybe Troy Bayliss, but that was, I think, World Superbike, they've complained about poor handling from Ducatis. Everybody has. And then after being on Honda for 10 years as a privateer and then as a MotoGP rider, it was already a huge challenge, but it proved to be a struggle, and he crashed during qualifying at the open round in Qatar, and he got a few stitches, but he returned to finish 12th, in, uh, and that was his 100th Grand Prix. Not only had he changed um, manufacturers, he was on a new bike that he was struggling with again. He crashed and had to get stitches, but he didn't get a concussion so he could return. Um, so he crashed in qualifying, but returned to, for the start the next day. Um and finished 12th. So not a great beginning to 2009 for Nicky Hayden. Um, and the second race really didn't start much better. Yuki uh, Takahashi plowed right into him in the first corner and crashed him out. And it wasn't until the eighth round at Laguna Seca that he would have a decent finish. Um, he ended up the race fifth after having only one top 10 finish in 2009 period. So uh, at least in some of the other ra- uh, other years, like you know, 2005 we were talking about, people are saying, hey, he's been criticized and he should be off the team. But he finished top 10 for six straight races. Um, and then some of the other years too. He's finishing top 10, he's finishing top 10. So 2009, super rough. Not only did he get crashed out, or he finished poorly in the first round, gets crashed out in the second round. It was not until the eighth round that he got a, a decent finish, right? And then um, uh, it was fifth of all things. And then he and then he finished it out with the uh, 
13th place overall. So it was his worst season so far since joining GP in uh, 2003. So he spent five or no, he spent like eight years getting up to his championship. And then it only took three years to kind of hit bottom, his worst so far. So 2010 was better. Uh, he had a, uh, a, in my notes, it says Hayden had a year on the Ducati. So one year made all the difference, right? He was able to string together four fourth place finishes in the first five rounds. So things are looking up. The Ducati's a little bit bigger. It's hard to handle. It's kind of like the super bikes that he used to be into. Um, and uh, he, cr- he still crashed out three times, uh, but he finished in the top 10 every time that he at least crossed the finish line. So his second year it shows you what one year on a bike should do. And that's why they were so disappointed in his 2004 season at Honda, right? Honda has big expectations. Ducati, you can get away with looking good, being a flash kid and hanging out with some supermodels. So I think they were, uh, much more happy. He ended the season in seventh. So he ups it by like, he doubles basically his, uh, his, uh, ranks and Jorge Lorenzo in 2010, as you know, would take his first of several championship titles. So Lorenzo won like, what, four or five? And so for him to come in in 2010 and just start blasting, you know, putting everyone on blast right away um, is what they expected Hayden to do back in 2003. So Hayden's already kind of getting aging out of the GP hopes, and he's had a real struggle. 2006 was his best year. We're almost... 10 years on from that or five years on from that. So it's not looking really great, but you know what? It's not too shabby. Finished seventh. That's as as good as he finished on Honda at any point. Right. So 2010 wasn't that bad. So 2000, uh, 2011, uh, saw Hayden joined at Ducati by his former teammate, Valentino Rossi. Um, and for the first half of the season, he finished top 10 scoring a third place at the second round. Um, after a 14th place finish at Indianapolis and a crash at San Marino. So he didn't have, he didn't have really good, um, you know, it wasn't like a, a total comeback, but he did finish top 10 several more times um, up until the Malaysian Grand Prix, which was canceled. If you remember 2011, horrible year. Marco Simoncelli died. This is the year I pretty much quit watching GP. Um, but Nikki broke his wrist in a four bike crash on the final round of 2011. So up until, up until 20, uh, the Simoncelli crash, he was actually not doing too bad. The worst that he'd done was 14th, uh, at Indy and then the crash. So it wasn't too shabby, but after, after that, and after the, um, after his uh, four bike crash, he finishes the season in eighth. So he's down one spot from 2010, right? Uh, so it wasn't his worst, his worst season so far was, uh, 2009 where he finished, um, 13th. Is that what I said? Yeah. 13th. Then he finishes seventh and then he's looking great, but he still finishes eighth. So he still doesn't finish better than the year before. And now he's had two years on the Ducati. So it was kind of crummy, but he's back with Rossi since the first time since 2004, I believe, or five. So 2012 happens, and now MotoGP machines switch back to 1000s after being 800s for a while, and this suited his style more. So he had a really good start, and he finished top 10 in nine of the first 10 races. So that's not too shabby. 
Um, and that could be anywhere from like, I would tell you if he podiumed. So I'm just saying he at least finished in the top 10. I'm not saying he finished great, but he was placing, you know, at least top 10. Um, a crash during qualifying at Indy again left him with a concussion and a broken hand. Um, so he would miss the race. He was disqualified and he had a busted hand. Um, and he would miss the next race as well. Um, so he continued with another string of top 10 finishes, uh, but crashed out in the last round again, him and the last round don't really, uh, get along that well. So he finishes in seventh in the end there. I think you can see where this is going. Um, you know, after his first, first year, um, his first year he finishes what fifth they say. And then, uh, that's not too shabby for a brand new guy, you know, not like Lorenzo coming in and <laughs> winning his very first season, but it's fine. So fifth down to eight, uh, eighth down to third down to where did he finish in 2006? I forget. Um, oh yeah, he won. And then going back down to sixth, then going back down to 13th, then going back up to 7th, then going back down to 8th, uh, finishes 2012th and 7th. You can see where I'm going with this. There's some averages happening here, and they're starting to end up Henry Wiles' uh, region, which is like 6th, 7th place-ish, right? So uh, due to the um, Ducati's poor handling and Rossi's inability to adapt to the machine, he bails back to Yamaha. And that allows Andrea Davizioso to join Nikki at Ducati for 2013 season. And Hayden finished top 10 in the first few races before crashing out in round six. Then he came back to string together some more top 10 finishes until he had a mechanical at round 15. And then he finished the year in ninth place overall. So he's got a bunch of top 10s, but they're averaging out to ninth. Um, and he had a second consecutive year without even having a podium finish, period. He had a lot of top 10s, but no podium. Um, meanwhile, Mark Marquez takes the first of his many MotoGP championships, becoming the youngest rider to do so in the entire series um, since they've been calling it MotoGP. So Nicky left Ducati at the end of the season. And in 2014, he, he joined with Aspar, which is uh, Aspar was a privateer team on a Honda RCV1000R. Now, the RCV1000R is basically a, quote, production version of the RC213V that the Mark Marquez had went on in the year prior. So uh, that's another note to make here is that in 2013, I believe, was the first year of the RC213V, which is the 21st uh, century third version now. And I think it goes back to a V5 now that they're back up to a thousand CCs. Um, and again, Marquez wins the year prior. He wins again, you know? So, uh, this is what they expected of Hayden when he came in a bunch of wins. And when it didn't happen, um, it was, a, it was a struggle to win in 2006 and it's just been going downhill since then. Uh, and so the RC 213, uh, V Mark Marquez wins on, um, it basically is, there's a MSMA, which is the motorcycle something manufacturers association. I forget what the S stands for, but, um, basically it's the, it's the OEMs and it's the factory. So the RC, uh, V 1000 R is the production version quote. Um, and it basically has, 
uh, non-MSMA teams, it allows them to race in what the, is like the open class or like the satellite teams. And it ran on Dorna-issued software rather than Honda factory software. And there was a couple other things. I think like the suspension had to be uh, different. Couldn't it be like the factory suspension on it, Jazz? So there was a couple different things. But that's the main difference is that the electronics that it ran on were spec not like totally open, right? So he finished outside the top 10 a few times. Uh, and he, and in 2014, he had a bunch of surgeries on his wrist over the course of the whole season. He had like two, maybe three, and he finished in 16th place. So this was the not only the third year without a podium finish, but this would be his worst year ever in MotoGP. 16th uh, beats his 13th a few years earlier. Um, so in 2015, he stays with Aspar. This time he's on the RC213VRS, and this is the closest thing to factory bike for the open class. Um, I forget exactly what the differences are, but I think that you can now run um i think you still run spec electronics but everything else you can get factory stuff uh and so yeah he started off the season miserably and it didn't get much better he had three crashes no top 10 finishes and a best 11th place in france and he finished with a whole whopping 16 points and he ended up 20th in the championship so 2015 Terrible season for him. Terrible, terrible season. Um, and he, the, he left MotoGP all together in 2016 and moved over to World Superbike for the 10K, or I think it's 10 Kata, but I, but I think people call it 10K racing. Um, and he got called twice to Honda during the MotoGP season once when Mark VDS um, called him in because Jack Miller got hurt, and another time when Repsol needed him to come ride because Danny Pedrosa got hurt. Um, he placed 15th the first time, and he crashed out <laughs> the second time. So they were both very poor showings, but at least he got a ride in MotoGP uh, again in, in 2016, even though he had left the series. Um, he had some good starts in World Superbike. His first podium coming in just the fourth round, um, during round six at Sepang, he had a great battle for the lead going, but he eventually went on uh, to win his first World Superbike race and Honda's very first of the 2016 season. So it was pretty nice. Um, he finished the season in fifth spot, but at least he got uh, a podium and then he actually won a race. So, I mean, after going empty-handed for like the last like five years of GP with not even a podium... Uh, it was nice to finally come back and win a race uh, in 2016 in World Superbike. So he stayed at Tenkata or Tenk. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure how you pronounce this. Uh, he stayed with them for 2017, and he had pretty mixed results. He was 13th um, in the championship at the time of his death, and he uh, had had placed seventh. Um, that was his best. Pl- placing for that season at the time. And in the end, his points were enough to keep him in 17th place. So he only dropped uh, four places, even though um, his untimely death happened in the middle of the season, basically, or actually kind of in the early part of the season. Um, He still only drops four points to end in 17th. But 
Uh, during his 14-year stint in MotoGP, he only racked up three wins. <laughs> That's hard to believe because he had a championship in there. Um, but he did get 28 po- podiums and a championship title. And although his racing average was only 10th place over the decade and a half that he spent in MotoGP, I think it was his personality and his actions off track that are as part of what made him a legend. And... His family, especially his racing heritage, helped weave him into the fabric of American motorsports, right? And the fact to me that even while he's racing uh, MotoGP, he's still doing flat track. Uh, well, he's doing AMA, he's doing flat track. When he's doing MotoGP, he's still racing X Games and stuff like that and doing Supermoto. He never gave up racing moto. He never gave up racing. He hurt his hand... Um, the 450 accident. I forget if that was his first year or GP, but uh, or second year or GP. But I mean, he's still racing moto and training on dirt. You know, this is a guy that was doing all this before it was the thing to do, right? And this is part of why the people do it now. Um, and his ability to get on any motorcycle and be competitive were uncanny beyond belief. He enjoyed all forms of racing. He kept his family close at all times. His sisters race. He has, I think he has two sisters and three brothers. They all raced as kids. They all raced each other and all three brothers went on to race professionally. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing. The Haydens, they're considered America's racing royalty. Um, and their father, Earl, who's number 69, is the one Nikki carried on to Grand Prix racing. It got, it basically got the entire uh, family involved in it. And um, it really cool. So here's some interesting facts that I don't know if you know. That, that's our, that ends our uh, Nikki Hayden history, though. Like We love to think of as, as America's hero. I know Wiggins loves him to death. He only won three freaking times in MotoGP. It's hard to believe, but... We, we, we've talked about consistency before, which is how Colby Carlisle won several flat track uh, singles championships, right? All you got to do is be consistent. You don't have to win a bunch of times. His 28, 28 podiums and three wins, um, I guess most of those came in the year that he won the championship, right? And he, and he won the championship coming in third. So <laughs> he didn't have to be on the top step all the time to take that championship. But over his career, like I said, 14 years, 10th place was his average. Um, so that first place championship year really took it up. His 20th place uh, World Superbike or whatever it was, his last, his last year of MotoGP, I think it was, really brought it down. And every other year in there, he crashed and finished top 10, brought him to 10th. So, I mean, we think of him as America's hero only because... He was almost the only American racing. And after 2011, Colin Edwards also quit MotoGP. That's the year him and Rossi smashed into Simoncelli, killing him. Um, And that year, I I think Colin Edwards dislocated his shoulder. And after that, I don't remember if it was that year or the next year, he got out. And seeing uh, an up-and-comer like Simoncelli was, I think Simoncelli had some great things coming ahead of him. Um, had he been able to stay in, um, you know, and not not had a tragedy as well, he could have been a, another Nicky Hayden. But he was another guy that was super. People loved him because of his big hair, his big personality, his big smile. I think that's why people liked 
Nicky Hayden. And I think that's why we consider him America's racing royalty, not only because he was really good on a motocross bike, he was good on a supermoto, he was good on a road road course, he got a lot of starts here at Willow Springs, which is amazing to me because I used to go watch the Corsa back in those world superbike days when they were racing in the early 2000s, actual superbike races here in Southern California. Um uh, I, it was AMA, but still, you know, like it was cool. World Superbike came here once too. And that's, I think where he got his World Superbike debut was at that race. Um, but his number 69 also came from his dad who crashed a lot apparently himself and said that, Hey, when I'm flipping upside down in the dirt, the number 69 is the same <laughs> upside down as it is right side up. So that's where the number 69 came from. Um, the Hayden brothers back at that 2002 Springfield TT where Nikki Hayden um, uh, took the win, uh, the Hayden brothers finished one, two, three. So they they podiumed with Nikki and Roger Lee making a Tommy sandwich at the checkered flag. Um, and Roger Lee would go on to be a very successful racer too, not only in World Superbike, but again with uh, AMA, with Moto America and his teammate um, Tony Elias. So, you know, They've all, they all raced. They're all out of racing now, of course. Um, but I like to think Nicky isn't, he didn't stop. He's still racing somewhere, but, uh, it was pretty amazing. And he wasn't the winningest of guys, but just like Guy Martin, Guy Martin never won the Isle of Man TT, but you ask anybody about who's a competitor at the Isle of Man TT, they'll forget Joey Dunlop. They'll forget John McGinnis. They'll forget some of the, uh, other people that have made some crazy names for themselves, like Michael Michael Dunlop and Connor Cummins and all those guys, and they'll say Guy Martin, and the guy's never won. It just it's a big personality that people tend to migrate towards. So I think part of Nikki's charm was that his charm. Um, and speaking of his number sixty nine, the mayor of Owensboro named June ninth as Nikki Hayden Day. So six nine that is coming up here uh, in, in about. Let me see. What's the day? The 29th? So I guess in 10 days. So we'll be celebrating Nikki Hayden Day. We just, uh, I wanted to do this show because we didn't really recognize him when he passed away, aside from, you know, cheering for him and praying that he didn't. And then a week later when he did, it was like one of the most crappiest shows I've ever had to do. So I thought, hey, here we are coming up. His, his um, anniversary just passed. We never did a show on him. So let's talk about him. So here it is. Um, and his number was retired from MotoGP. And I believe he was inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame, which they usually takes five years to do. They rushed it for Nicky Hayden. I think it's five years past your death. So they rushed him in there um, because he was such a legend and he was loved by everybody. He raced with Pedrosa. He raced with Rossi. He raced with the Vizioso. Um you know, he had a lot of great teammates over the years, uh, and the kid just made a big impression on people. Um, and he was the only American to win a um, title since, let me think, I can't remember the last American to win a GP title. I think that's also why we cling to Nikki Hayden, because who's won it since then from America? I don't think we've won one since Nikki Hayden. He's our last guy. So it's been... Uh, uh, 2016 would have been a decade. We're going on, uh, we're working our way through a decade and a half here. So he was in MotoGP uh, about as long as it's been since we won a GP. So we need another uh, American to get over there. Um, following his death, actually, the investigation 
I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but the Riccioni Municipal Police, they determined that the driver of the Peugeot 206 that struck Hayden, and if you know what a Peugeot 206 is, they're not a huge car, but they are fast. Um, he was at 70% at fault for driving too fast. He was doing 73 kilometers an hour in a 50K, which is basically 45 in a 30. Hayden, they figured, was 30% at fault because there was a stop sign on this road, and he was possibly distracted by his iPod, which was found nearby. And they say he didn't stop. There is a um, video. I didn't see the video, and I haven't watched it, but there is a security cam footage of a nearby house or a nearby business uh, that caught the whole thing on tape. And so that's, they were able to review it and say, yeah, Nikki, he didn't stop. This guy was going too fast. Um, had he been going slower, maybe he would have been able to swerve or slam on the brakes and, and Nikki wouldn't have been killed, but it snapped his bike in half and it dented the, uh, the front of the Peugeot. Again, Peugeots aren't very, uh, huge cars. And if you've ever hit a deer, you know that it can just devastate your car. It's not like it takes a lot to smash cars nowadays that are designed to crumple. And, um, but Obviously, you know, hitting somebody on a bike in spandex is not great. If you're unfamiliar with where this crash happened, it was, um, I actually went and looked at it online. I can't remember the name of the street. It was something like the Caviarella and something else. I forget the names of the streets, but maybe I wrote them down here and I just didn't save them. Um, but anyways, he was coming around like this weird corner and the street that the car was on was a straightaway pretty long straightaway, which is probably why he was doing 45. 45 is nothing, but the road was kind of narrow. Um, and there, he didn't have a stop sign and Nikki Hayden did and Nikki didn't stop. So, I mean, that's why the, he's not a hundred percent free, uh, of responsibility, but it, it was very tragic and really sucky. Uh, to hear about. Um, Earl and Rose Hayden were named Grand Marshals of the 2019 Indian Motorcycle of Lexington Red Mile uh, flat track event, and $1 from every ticket sold went to the Nikki Hayden Foundation. Um, so yeah, it was really cool things that have come um, continuing as legend. There's a beautiful statue uh, in the town of Owensboro, and the Haydens were a huge part of putting that city on the map to begin with. So that's why he's getting the treatment there, just like the Dunlops get their statues um, in Ireland. It's really cool. So um, I'd like to... Hey, <coughs> excuse me. I'd like to say thanks to Wikipedia, the Peoria Journal Star, uh, xdames.com, nickyhayden.com, cycleworld.com, YouTube, American Flat Track site, Google Maps, and a bunch of others for the information in this recounting of Nikki Hayden's career, all of which I would not have been able to remember without all those sources. Uh, so yeah, I, I compiled it from a lot of different places. Um, now for what everybody loves and what everybody's been doing lately, the 2020, uh, the 2020, the unrelated 2020 Instagram logic. And for anybody that loves a good meme, um, that makes no sense and only has bearing on Instagram. Let's do this. So here's fact number one, Instagram fact number one. The Ducati factory race team with ties to the old Italian mafia of the 30s and 40s had Nikki Hayden exterminated for criticizing the race bike's handling. That's one theory on 2020 Instagram, Conspiracy Theory Central. Um, number two, 
Nikki was heading west from the Misano circuit, which if you look at the uh, the Google Maps, he was. He was heading west. Uh, he was struck near a custom curtain designer. You ever hear the phrase, it's curtains for you, see? Which they planned that, right? The mafia planned that, that hit. Uh, right around this time, Valentino Rossi also had a, a run-in with a near-fatal overdose of Tonto Puto, which is a couple years earlier. Uh, if you remember, it was it was administered by the same Ducati team, and it was made evident by his Machiavellian post-race interviews and his rants against Marquez and Lorenzo. If you remember when he bailed Yamaha and went to Ducati, it was all because of this crazy schemes. He was going nuts. He was talking trash and he was just incoherent and babbling like a crazy old Italian old man on drugs. And it turns out he was on Tantaputo. And when he goes back to Yamaha from Ducati, they're like, we got to get him, right? So they were already putting some juice in his, uh, in his Kool-Aid um, to get him, you know, he was, he was affected by this drug. Um, so the paranoia uh, uh, affected by the drug eventually led him to make one of his worst decisions of his life, which was switching to Ducati for the worst stint of his MotoGP career. So they put Tonto Puto in his drink. He was talking all crazy, but he bailed Yamaha for Ducati. They take him off Tonto Puto, and he's like, oh, what the hell? Like, this is the worst bike I've ever ridden, and I can't. I'm an Italian on an Italian bike, and I can't win Mugello. I'm out of here. So he bails. Um, also... Theory number four for the Instagram logic, uh, conspiracy theory central, don't believe anything you read on Instagram, is Nikki's iPod was rigged to start playing polka music right at that intersection, causing him to overlook the stop sign and look down as he's entering this main road, which caused the accident. So there you go. Don't believe what you read on Instagram. Post funny pictures of your food and your dog, but do not start posting political stuff on Instagram and making a conspiracy theory out of every goddamn thing, or we can't be friends anymore. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and rack, rack up the show. What do you say? Hey, Tobor, you've been awfully quiet over there. Can we rack up the show? Racking things is what I live for. All right. You disgust me, Tobor. But anyway, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more creative writing. Hey, play us out with some of that awesome uh, robot music. for a high-quality leather that doesn't cost an arm and a leg? Well, not yours anyway. Try Criders, made in the USA from 100% renewable resources. We don't use fancy hide like kangaroo or elk, nor do we use other imported hides like jaguar or okapi. Those animals are scarce and protected. We extrapolate our hides from a unique source of marsupial. Not a wallaby, though, if that's what you were thinking. Crider's leathers are made from the United States' most renewable resource, the common opossum. The common opossum is so common, in fact, that thousands of hides go to waste each year on American roadways. We don't believe in letting these valuable garment farms end up in the city dump, especially with a looming leather shortage on the horizon. Crider's is dedicated to rider safety, and a low overhead is our number one priority. Visit Crider's today and we'll fit you up in new skin. Possum skin. Crider's, the cheapest leather you'll wear. 
is at Grider's now. We're located down by the stream behind the old recycling factory, Grider's Leathers. For over 125 and a half years, no pickle has been more trusted by motorcycle champions everywhere than Clobman Pickles. You want to win your race? Put a Clobman Pickle in your face. Clobman's guaranteed. Clubman's in your mouth and a championship trophy on your shelf. Clubman's the only pickle for motorcyclists. Not the only pickle for motorcyclists. The only pickle for good motorcyclists. Clubman's pickles. Thanks, Mama. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creative Writing. Let's wrap this show up. Can we do it in ten minutes? I don't think we can. I'm such a blabberpuss, and to. Tobor is over here in sleep mode. Uh, Wiggins never showed up, so maybe I can do it in 10 minutes. Uh, so uh, speaking of anniversaries, this year the Harley-Davidson Fat Boy is celebrating its 30th anniversary, and I want to talk about that a little bit. So let's get right to it. Tobor, hit me with some of that robot jazz, baby. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Tobes. All right, so um, Fat Boy, 30th Anniversary Edition. It's happening, baby. The Fat Boy, it made its debut in 1990, but to understand its beginnings, we have to go all the way back to the 1970s and a home builder from Missouri. Now, in 2018, there was a 115th Anniversary Fat Boy, and I'm sure that since 1990, there's been quite a few. I'm sure they celebrated the 110th Anniversary Fat Boy, the 105 Anniversary Fat Boy, the 80th Anniversary Fat Boy. Harley-Davidson loves anniversaries, right? Uh, And they have one every five years, which is really weird. A lot of people do it every 10, 25, 50, 75, and 100. But if you're Harley-Davidson, let's party, especially now that we don't know how long they're going to be around for. So... Here I go, already doing a tangent. Um, so listen, uh, to understand the beginnings, like I said, we got to go back to the 1970s and a home builder from Missouri. Why do you why do you have that look on your face for Tobor? Oh, dude. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, I'll I'll be fast here then, just for you, Tobor. The Harley Davidson soft tail. It's styled to look like a rigid rear suspension, but it actually has a swing arm and a really plush suspension. And it was introduced in 1984 as the FXST Softail. It was the very first factory Harley to use this design, but it wasn't designed by the Milwaukee Giant at all. The original Softail frame design was actually created by a Harley-Davidson enthusiast and engineer based in St. Louis. Bill Davis worked on a frame design from like 74 to 75 in his garage that used his own personal super glide as the base. 
Uh, it had a swing arm that pivoted at the bottom with the shock hiding underneath the seat. And he patented the design, met with the chief styling officer, Willie G. Davidson, the next year, who is not an owner of Harley-Davidson by any means. He is a relative, but he has nothing to do with the ownership. He, he, is, he is employed by Harley, and they could fire him at any time. Um, so don't get me wrong when I say the chief styling officer, okay? Uh, he doesn't have the say in buying these designs. He's only the chief styling officer. So the company didn't bite. Uh, Davidson was really impressed with it, but he told Davis that he, uh, he was still interested, but the company wasn't going to go for it. Uh, and so Davis went back to the drawing board and refined his design to fit the shocks actually underneath the frame instead of under the seat. It required... Uh, special shocks, like tension shocks that pull rather than shocks that compress uh, inward, like they get squished down, these shocks actually pull out. And so the, the swing arm still pivots like a normal swing arm. When you hit a bump, it swivels up. So if the shocks are underneath, as it swivels up, they get pulled uh, longer rather than squished shorter like regular shocks. And actually, I guess on the inside, they get squished, but this, that's a whole different thing. Um, the original... Uh, soft tail, I think was dual shock and it pivoted at the bottom still. It was a really interesting design because you have normal swing arms are just like, you know, they swivel in the middle and they go out. If you have like a sport bike, you know that they're not just bars. They are actually like cages because the shock has to mount to it and it's cantilevered. Well, his was also cantilevered, but the way he did it was really kind of interesting and it gave it a plush ride, and it still did look rigid. The frame blended right into the swing arm so that you couldn't tell it was moving until you went over a bump. So it looked rigid, looked like an old-school chopper, but didn't break your spine and give you piles as you uh, drove over a speed bump. Um, so, yeah, he goes, up, goes back to the drawing board and puts the shocks underneath it, and... Uh, Gets a design started with a couple of buddies of his, and they call their company Roadworks with an X at the end. Uh, since in the United States, for anybody listening from abroad, I don't think you can copyright or trademark standard words. So if you, when you see stuff spelled the wrong way and you're like, how stupid are these people? Uh, it's just because you have to spell it a weird way so that you can trademark it. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So the word Roadworks, instead of uh, having a... K in it just has an X, right? So total side tangent into copyright, copyright and trade, trademark law that you guys had no interest in hearing. All right, Tobor, I've had enough of you. I'm going to turn you off in a second. Um, so anyway, they dubbed the unique design the Subshock because it's underneath, you know, I'm not going to explain the word sub to you, but you get it. Roadworks is selling this frame. Well, the partnership failed. Uh, Harley-Davidson CEO Jeff Bluestein contacted Davis, and in 1982, they bought all of the existing patents, jigs, tooling, prototypes, everything off of Davis, pretty much wrapped his garage up uh, nicely in some packing, immediately had him killed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, nobody knows what happened to him since, so I haven't heard of Jim Davis. Have you? Um, so anyway, is he the guy that... Jim Davis, isn't that the guy that uh, draws Garfield? I think I meant Bill Davis. <laughs> 
So, so I wish Jim Davis would get killed. Everybody hates Garfield. Um, but anyway, so the FXST debuts in 1984. Uh, the soft tail had been one of Harley Davidson's best selling models ever since. And that's why they killed the Dinah is because I know Dinah was made for California people, but the rest of the country loves them a soft tail. Um, the FXST, like I said, made its debut in 1984. They still, uh, uh, actually, several submodels have been have come and gone, but the FXST is still makes a retu- making a return in 2020 as a stripped down kind of back to basics cruiser that harkens back to the original design. The only thing is, is it has more in common with the actual original prototype that Bill Davis and Roadworks were designing because it has that new monoshock frame that was introduced in 2018. And on the redesigned chassis, the shocks do sit on top of the swing arm and hide under the seat, just like Bill Davis's initial build. So Harley Davidson has come full circle. Uh, if you remember their spiel a few years ago, it was like, oh yeah, these new uh, soft tails are like, depending on your model, the frames vary just a little bit. There's like a couple different frame variations, but they are like 90% more rigid than the prior version with the underneath the uh, frame. So I guess it was just underneath there to fit like some oil tanks and some other stuff. Um, but now that they've gone back to hiding it uh, above under the seat. So the new ones actually have more in common with the actual very, very first design that Bill Davis built in his garage, which is kind of interesting, kind of cool, and kind of amazing that it has uh, made come full circle. So the history of the soft tail and the fat boy intermingle uh, in these few few years because the fat boy is a soft tail model. To me, I would say submodel because if you say soft tail, you, uh, Harley Davidson used to market their stuff by uh, Sportster, Dyna, soft tail, FLHT or FLH models, and then like trike and uh, and CVO or Screaming Eagle. Actually, they started out with. Then they changed to CVO and they haven't gone back. Um, but they still mark their model numbers with blah, 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 SE. So you go, you tell me. Now they're marketing, though, especially as of 2020, they are just clumping together street bikes, cruisers, and tours. So they've kind of changed what they, how they market stuff. But for the longest time, up until this year, actually, a soft tail was a soft tail. And it included the Fat Boy, the Slim. Uh, the Heritage Classic, the Deluxe, you know, there's all, there's uh, been so many f- soft tails over the years. I can think of the Soft Bones, the Soft Tail Springer, um, the, uh, what was it called? The um, Heritage Soft Tail Classic, maybe. The, uh, was the Nightster? That was a Sportster. Uh, Night Rod? That was a V Rod. There was a night something, night train. I think that might have been a sportster that got replaced placed by the black line or the slim or something like that. But there was all these. And, the, and and so the soft tail was like the family. And then each one of those little models, or what I would call a submodel, uh, filled out their their uh, uh, basically used the soft tail platform as their design. So the fat boy, it is a soft tail, okay? And the Fat Boy was originally designed by Louis Nets and Willie G. Davidson over like a two-year period, and it featured, this is crazy, it's like the only bike in Harley's lineup to ever feature this that I can think of, solid cast wheels and a big fat FL touring style front end compared to the narrower FX 
front ends. So if you're familiar with the Dynas, most of those had FX front ends, and that's why they're FXR, FXD, FX blah, blah, blah. FX is a skinny front end, and the FL was the heavier-duty uh, front ends that have like fork covers and like a lot of times nacelles that cover some of the headlight. So that's another thing. The Fat Boy remained largely unchanged with all that stuff, just getting a redesign in 2018 to have like a big, kind of like what they call a freight train style nacelle. If you were to look in the, um, what's it called, in the old uh, PA catalog a while ago, um, it gets like an enclosure. <clears throat> where usually it had just like a bucket-style headlamp out there. So it remained, ever since its debut in 1990, it remained largely unchanged uh, forever. Um, and, and it remains basically the uh, that fat front end, um, and, the, and it was named the Fat Boy because it looked huge, big and fat, right? So um, that fat front end and the cast wheels has been a integral part of the fat boy ever since. And the reason, the whole reason they call it a fat boy is because it just looks massive compared to the other soft tails for the most part. Um, like the, the, the deluxe still looks like a big, huge, uh, fat touring bike, but it doesn't look like the other soft tails. It looks like an old, um, I mean, I'm sorry, not the deluxe, the, the heritage looks like an old 1950s bike with a bunch of fringe and crap. So, uh, it kind of, should look like an FL, but the other ones get the FX look, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the breakout and the fat, uh, fat Bob, that one actually, I like the fat Bob a lot. So none of them quite look like the fat boy. They all kind of look like tough cruisers where the fat boy is a good mix of like that nostalgic, uh, classic fat touring look from like the fifties, but, um, you know, mixed with some kind of crazy cool styling. The tanks were always huge on them. Um, it had like a big nostalgic flared fender instead of a chopped down fender like a lot of the other soft tails had. So it was a really interesting style. Um, and it took them two years to make and, and it's lasted this long. So pretty good. So like I said, apparently the bike got its name due to the Fat Bob, which it already shared some design aspects with and which was already a motor motorbike. So uh, Willie G made a comment about the Fat Boy's size and they just went ahead and called it the Fat Boy. Um, the Fat Bob was obviously kind of a fatter front end with the Bob Fender and all that great jazz. And it's also been around for quite a while. The Fat Bob looks pretty bitchin' in, uh, from 2018 on, by the way. Um, so it's gone through a few motors since its inception. It started out with the 1340cc and then moved up to a 1584cc twin cam, and then it went on to the 1746 and 1868 Milwaukee eights. And nobody writes in metric. I don't know where I got this data from, but nobody nobody calls uh, you know Harley Davidsons by metric sizes. So a 1340 and a 1584, I think, is the 88 twin cam and the 96 twin cam, and then the 1746 and 1868 Milwaukee eights, I believe, is the 107 and the 110, um, or the 110 and the 114. I don't know. I think it's 107 and the 110 uh, Milwaukee eights. Uh, <laughs> it still is one of the most popular models, and it's the only one of the new Harley Davidsons to be interpreted by a Lego toy, albeit too expensive for your kids to play with or buy. It's like $100 for a stupid toy, so you know it's for Harley dudes. But Lego has made like a BMW. I don't know if they made any other models, uh, any other motorcycles that are specific to brand, but they go ahead and make a Harley. And when they made a Harley, they choose the Fat Boy. So that's how iconic and legendary this thing is. Now, 
It's 30th anniversary is this year. So it's debuted in 1990, but the 30th anniversary, you might think, oh, it goes back to the 1930s because looking at this bike in some ways does look like you're looking at some Art Deco aspects of an old touring bike of the day, even though it's not a touring bike. The Harley Tourers are huge and massive, 900-pound, multi-box holding, gigantically fared things. The Fat Boy actually looks more like an old cruiser, though, from the days of the 30s and 40s to me. So, in uh, 2006, another change. 2006 was a big year. 2006 and seven, I think Harley-Davidson, there was a strike and there was some huge changes in the frames and all that stuff. So, a lot of stuff going on that year. Uh, one of the changes that was positive from that year was the Fat Boy starts using a six-speed gearbox. But it remained largely unchanged otherwise, except for, I think, the exhaust, which also started out... If you see early Harley exhaust, they look really weird. Uh, with like this pipe going across right underneath the air cleaner. It didn't look too pretty. It didn't showcase the engine like the new exhausts that kind of come under. Uh, but it was a shotgun exhaust, and they still use the shotgun exhaust, but they changed it to not have like that crossover pipe right there in the middle of the engine. Um, so, But other than that, it remained largely unchanged. The uh, gearbox was different. I believe the exhaust had changed by then. In 2010, we got the Fat Boy Low, which not only proved that HD can't spell, like soft tail only has one T. It's soft tail, not soft tail. But anyway, Fat Boy Low was just L-O instead of L-O-W. Anyway, that's beside the point. I digress. Um, it made the foray into the blacked-out versions of this lineup. And ever since then, Harley's been running with blacked-out finishes for the past few years. But the Fat Boy Low, not only was it blacked out, the cast wheels were blacked out, and they've always been these huge chrome or polished cast gigantic pizza cutter things that look like they would be on a drag car from the 80s, right? Um, and so that's why it was always a unique design. It has these crazy massive solid cast wheels and now they're blacked out. And so the Fat Boy Low was a pretty intense looking bike. I remember it very well coming out in 2010 and lasting up until I want to say 2014 or something like that. Um, so yeah, the seat was also low or low, L-O-W, not L-O. But despite the changes in equipment, the style was pretty much the same, um, especially those solid cast wheels. I'm telling you, that's like a fat boy staple to this day. Now, this year, they don't, they're not the discs like they have traditionally been where it looks like you took two giant pizza, industrial pizza pans or keg bottoms and slap them together, weld, them, weld the two halves together to make a big wide wheel. It's a little bit more... Um, aggressive this year or for this generation this last generation fat boy the wheels have really changed but they are still solid cast they look like they're polished aluminum though um and they are just massive looking and they have like these crazy uh like fins in them I, they, they look more like a turbo impeller or something like that some sort of mixing impeller than they do the cast uh disc like Bonneville style wheels, you know, if you think of like old drag cars or speed speed cars. Um, in 2018, it was reworked with the rest of the soft tails as well. And the chassis got its first major change since the 1980s. The new frames, like I said, they're up to 90% stiffer depending on which model. 
Um, the Fat Boy was one of those ones that went up like sixty percent, I think, from the previous model. It vastly improves the handling over the previous design. Doesn't have as much frame flex, uh, all that jazz, right? The headlamp nacelle and the wheels have grown bigger and gotten more angular in this redesign. And like I said, there's no more headlamp sticking out there by itself. Um, it is just a. Uh, it's like hidden in this housing now instead of just being a bucket style. But it's massive and it's huge. And one thing still remains that is it is still a very fat boy. That's for sure. Uh, still has that fat front end. And, and, and that's one aspect that hasn't changed about it um, is the fact that it still looks like a massive bike, even though it's not as big as some of the cruisers or, you know, it's there are some of the touring bikes rather. Um, it's still a massive looking cruiser. So, that's it. That's our show. Did we make it, Tobor? I don't think we made it out of here in an hour. Tobor has gone into sleep mode. Yeah, it's two hours and nine minutes. But um, I'd like to say thank you. This show is brought to you, uh, like I said, TPS Fab. Off we go, doggy treats. And, of course, we couldn't have done it without our patrons. And I want to say thank you, everybody. Thanks, John, Chris, Chad, Jerry, Phil, Corey, Danger Dan, Chuck, Matt, Nerissa, Ray, Paul, and Lance. And uh, if you would like to, please join us on our Discord server. I've been trying to get in there and conversate a little bit more. Um, patrons, I will try to get my S together um, and get you that music video so we can start making fancy music together uh, for some cool project that Narissa Cerny had a really good idea about. And again, thank you, Narissa, for that idea. And Tobor, anything to say? I don't know. Anything you want to say to sign off? It was not good being back. Are you saying I'm wrong? <laughs> no. And maybe we can get a girl robot in here. I don't know. Can you program your voice to sound like a girl? People are actually suggesting I get a girl on the show. Uh, and since Wiggins isn't here, um, we're going to have to get a girl on this show. Sure. I'll take what I can get at this point. Uh, so, yeah, with that, everybody have a safe and peaceful weekend. Uh, get out and ride. It's the beginning of summer. Watch Wild Hot. No, just don't do that. But anyway, I will uh, talk to you next week. Everybody have a good one, and I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you didn't, uh, write us, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com, or give us a call, 740-563-2858. Leave a message. Let us know what we should talk about. Hit us up on the DMs. Go follow our Facebook group and give us a new word of the week. We're out of them. And I have this whole bag of kittens that's going to start multiplying pretty soon if we don't start taking care of them the responsible way, which is blowing them up with a nuclear bomb. All right, everybody. Peace. Peace.